Welcome to podcast 201, a new chapter of podcasts. Indeed. I'm joined today on the sofa by... Richard. And... Farmer Phil. Lovely. Here we go, Rich. Here is a review on Tweety Twitter. Oh, OK. Just there. Thing. Can Something you read I'm that? Something I'm still not uh, entitled. There's lots of chat about Twitter there recently on, on bloody everything you listen to. This okay. is from Podchef. Just had a drive through rural Hereford via WW Podcast. On my way to Feed Store. Loved, wiggled story of Dad and Fox Musk. Whole show brilliant. Oh. Podchef. And the thing is, then I had a tweet from Megan saying, is Podchef in Herefordshire But he's not, of course. It was metaphorically speaking. show we've got lots coming up we've got Gambia is good we're going to hear all about the Gambia is good project which I think is fantastic we've got you with a piece on deer rutting yes indeed and I want to find out about a really important thing on the farm quite a drastic thing on the farm which is the TB testing moment is coming up dun 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 but first off Rich your Wigglos are in the catalogue. Nice. What do you think of the new Wiggly catalogue? I think the new Wiggly catalogue is, is very fine indeed. I do like the front page. I think it's fabulous. Michael's done a really good job on that. It's really pretty. Those, uh, the colours, you know, the, the whites and reds and, and, uh, and greys are wonderful. Mark Eccleston did the photo. Mark Eccleston did the photo. Yeah, but Michael did all the making it wonderful. Well, not that it wasn't wonderful, Mark. <laughs> well, look, uh, what is that? It's a squash, they look like Gelder Rose, squashed Gelder Rose berries or something like that. Is it? Absolutely. But it, it does, it, there's some really nice stuff in there, but the layout is very good. It's much easier, much clearer, more concise. New I think it's face. the best catalogue so far. Really? Mm, I do, yeah. It's really nice. It's one of the best ones I've seen, certainly. Tell us how you're going to produce these wigglers. The wigglers? OK, well, I'm going to go down to a, a local pond and I'm going to uh, hack said willow from out of the pond. Interestingly, the, the pond in question was once full of fishies, but what happened is the, the water table fell to such an extent that the, uh, the pond dried up and all the fishies had to be taken away and it's just been completely colonised by willow. So it's inundated with these stands, which make it quite easy to harvest, which is good. So essentially, it's a, it is a willow bed now, rather than a, rather than a pond. What's the difference between that and what I would know as an osier bed? Yeah, well, I would tell you if I knew what an osier bed was. Dear listener, do you know what an osier bed is? If so, phone 01981 500 930 or email... pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk or... Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk Or Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk You know we like hearing from you and it'd be even better if you went and put an iTunes review up so we could read it out and all that palaver. But Rich, your wigglers, so when folks get them, they get basically... A bunch of willow sticks. bunch of willow sticks and full instructions, cunningly compiled by, uh, by me and, uh, and assorted into some legible form in a creative fashion by Michael. <laughs> that must have taken Michael a while, then. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and some material to, to tie the said willow together with, uh, some elasticated rope 
And so yeah, essentially everything you need is a very simple affair, really, in order to in order to make it. But there's a few there's a few little tricks of the trade, like rubbing the stems furiously to warm them up a bit if you want to bend them easier. In fact, uh, at a event I went to, a National Trust event I went to down at Nyman's in Sussex recently, there was a chap there using a, a, a hot a hot air gun, you know, kind of paint stripping gun to warm up walking sticks to straighten them to get the bends out of them. I thought to myself. Mm, well, if that's what you do in your in your uh, in your retirement, I'm not entirely sure I want to be heading in that direction. <laughs> Having said that, it did work really well, and uh, yeah, and it's something that Phil could do certainly. I mean, rubbing <laughs> stems furiously to make them warm is a good lord. Is a, <laughs> I think we need a video of rubbing stems furiously. <laughs> I'm sure we'd get a viral marketing campaign going very well on YouTube with that, Rich. <laughs> ah, I wonder where you learned that technique. <laughs> Anyway. It, comes, it comes easily to <laughs> Does me. it? Yeah. Listen, so they get these sticks home into the garden, yeah. and, you know, where would I set up my wigloo? I'm, I'm going to make a shelter for my kids made out of willow yeah. that's called a wigloo. Yeah. You know, what's going to happen in years to come? Are we going to end up with, like, millions of trees? Mm, where would not I site it? Not if you prune it properly. I mean, really, it's something that only needs doing once a year, but it does need cutting a little bit harder every year. But what, what will happen with a wiggler is it will become denser as the time goes on. So as the foliage inundates the spaces between the original stems, then it will be more den-like. Uh, year on year, so it's something that changes, which is nice in a way, and it's also something that's quite robust and that can take quite a lot of abuse. Because I know you missed a lot of the uh, the folly at, at the Hay Festival Garden, but there's the yes, they weren't were, designed for children. Uh, <laughs> my been, opinion, they have been hung off <laughs> frequently by by lots of little munchkins. You know, it just goes to show how robust willow is. Oh look, a wren just on the mealworm feeder on the window. Isn't that lovely? Is. Isn't the wren? There he is. And gone. Oh, they're yes. good, those little mealworm feeders, aren't they? They're, they're sticky on the window. Have you had any? I'll tell you what happened the other day. I, as I, I was in the lounge, making up the fire, in fact, and all of a sudden there was this... <laughs> and I looked out of the window and there was a little male sparrowhawk just lying uh, on the, the window, obviously, you know. It was, it was a young one, juvenile, and it obviously launched itself into the window and knocked itself stupid. But it did recover and, and sort of flew off to pop oh. on its own accord. Did you ever... Have any problems with your sticky bird feeders on the windows? No. Birds launching no, it, themselves headlong? It's usually the windows that don't have the sticky bird feeders on them that we have any problems at all with. Right. Um, but actually, we've got a wonderful way of I not having say, a problem, and if, that is if you don't clean your windows, this is another handy hint, Yeah. if you don't clean your windows, they don't think they're see-through, so it's no problem, they don't run into them. Have you been watching Autumn Watch? Yes. Bill Oddie doesn't seem to be about. No, Where's, I think you've Bill? actually got rid of him. Really? Yeah, your uh. campaign. Well, <laughs> they've got Chris Packham on there now, instead, haven't they? Do you know, it's an ugly emotion of jealousy. It's absolutely ugly. It's funny, and you know, there was a, there was something it doesn't on, something do, on the does not do you well. There was something on the Jeremy Vine show the other day, because uh, Chris Packham had recently implied that spending too much time trying to conserve pandas and tigers was a waste of time really because they're you know they're not going to make it they're going to die out anyway in many respects he's probably right but uh, of course you know it gets people's emotions running high doesn't it you know and if you don't spend some time trying to conserve those creatures then uh, what's it all about you know you can't just let them die out you know have to there has to be some effort and input and and whatnot time spent trying but anyway one of the because uh, you get some quite 
vitriolic responses to, uh, to some of the discussions on the Jeremy Vine show, as you do on any talk show, but one of the listeners said that uh, he thought that Chris Packham was a complete fraud and he's only, he was uh, this unpleasant man who, who aspired to being like David Attenborough but could never get to those dizzy heights and you know, he shouldn't be part of the picture at all. And I thought to myself, well... <laughs> I'm not sure where that leaves me then, because I'd quite like to be in the same situation as Chris Packham. I must say, everyone in the room was just thinking the very same thing, weren't we? Yeah, but perhaps less successful than him, of course. Anyway, moving on. The thing is, Farmer Phil, we had some visitors round to the farm, some Gambian chaps. Mamet, Alan G and Sam. Yeah. What did you think? Oh, it's fascinating, wasn't it? I mean, developing agriculture and Gambia is good is a scheme to sort of put some order about their embryonic really agriculture development and dealing with the Gambia as a, as a developing African country and it was very very interesting and showing them around the farm showing them some of the things we do and them describing their take on it was fascinating for me you know it really does show up some of the things that we've got seriously wrong in this country Mm. but this project has been funded by Haygrove which is Herefordshire farmer who um, makes polytunnels and also grows lilies and does all sorts of things doesn't he yeah I mean they're um, they're a group of sort of operations really but they grow a lot of soft fruit of all sorts mostly under polytunnels and they make the polytunnels a big business Fellow Nuffield scholar of yours, I believe. He is, I think. Mm. And the point was that in Gambia, there was the farmers who were growing vine tomatoes and shipping them God knows where with no market for them. And next door, there's the Western hotels with all the Westerners there scoffing their faces with pizzas and broccoli and cauliflower and Western-type food, which was being shipped in from Holland. Right. And so the Herefordshire farmer with Concern Universal got together and said, hang on a minute, maybe we could just get this market going. So they funded a refrigerated... Well, what, what, what do the Dutch have to say about that? Oh, who cares, eh? <laughs> <laughs> we don't care, do we? As long as bus is all right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they got together and they funded a refrigerated vehicle and all sorts of things, spoke to the hotels and spoke to the farmers, agreed that the important thing was that... of the food produced was still being there for the farmers to feed their families and their communities. But the cash crop shouldn't be vine tomatoes. It should be what the local hotels wanted. And it was fascinating because the Gambians didn't know what a broccoli or a cauliflower was and certainly would not eat one or want one. But it turned out that they had really good conditions to grow these crops in. And so now they've set up their cooperative... It's changed hundreds and hundreds of livelihoods out there and the hotels get fresh local produce. So even the tourists get better food as a result of this project. Very good. Fantastic. And to me it was, you know, somebody who's always gone on about rotations. Instead of the farmers just growing vine tomatoes, by growing a variety of crops they got a rotation going and so that improved their farm and farming. Mm. But it also meant that their own food had more variety to it so that their own diet was improved right. and so really it was an all-win situation yeah. and as long as they don't 
allow themselves to be carried away with the pressures that we all know that can come to bear on developing agricultural economies, then they look to be headed well on the right track. And the three lads who came here are involved in training the farmers and acting as liaison, if you like, between Concern Universal or Gambia is good. So their job is to get the information to the farmers and make sure that the farmers then act as trainers within their own communities so that they've got this sort of knock-on effect going on, which so far seems to be working really well. And we're getting involved in all sorts of ways. They are happy to be involved with us. So most commercial companies don't suit charities, as we know, Mm. but they're very comfortable with us, and we're very comfortable with them. Mm. So we've got a micro-garden that you can buy in the Wiggly catalogue for £9, which you'll hear about in a minute from Alangi. And also Concern Universal will be promoting some Wiggly products too. They like the chicken hamper best. Right. And hopefully one of us will go out there next year and see what happens on the ground to the money that we've raised and get more involved in the project. So that will be a lovely thing going forward, I think. Right. And so great that it's a bunch of Herefordshire farmers that have actually developed Concern Universal. Yeah. It's just cool, man. Yeah, good. Well, Herf, shall we listen to what these Gambians are telling us? Let's do it. Okay, dear listener, you are not on the Wiggly sofa this week. You are around the Wiggly table and there is a buzzy bee, if you can hear a buzzy bee in the background. But I'm very pleased to have with me Mamat, Sam and Alaji, along with Katrina from Concern Universal. And they are joining us around the Wiggly table with some Wiggly cookies. Uh, with Farmer Phil, who is undoing um, Alagi's soil sample to compare it with Lower Blakemere alluvial material. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, Katrina, firstly, I want to ask you a little bit about how Concern Universal came into being, because I know that it was from, originated from a great Herefordshire farmer. And who's quite modest about it, but it's an amazing thing to have put together, isn't it? Yes. Well, it all came about way back in the 1960s um, with the Biafran War in Nigeria that some of us are just about old enough to remember. And it grew from there, really. And then in the the late 1990s, local farmer Ian Williams brought it up to Hereford, and it's really grown from there. And it's now quite a large organisation, and it works across Africa, east and west, also in Bangladesh and Colombia and Brazil. A lot of the work is based around agriculture, so Hereford is a very comfortable home, if you like, in that respect. But it's all about community-led development, so it's about working with the organisations in the local community to find out really what their priorities are and how we might help raise the funds and uh, work with them to try and solve some of those problems. And so, of course, you know, so often it is about being able to grow enough food to feed your families. And the Gambia is one of our biggest programmes across Africa. And Mamat and Sam and Aladji are here to tell us a bit more about what we do in the Gambia. But specifically, one project which has been developed rather remarkably by a fruit growing company local to here called Haygrove. And they had this wonderful vision to link... He's in Nuffield. He I is think. another Nuffield. Yes. They're everywhere. You they are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They had this great vision to try and link the Gambian farmers with the hotel market, this burgeoning hotel market mm. in the Gambia. And that was five years ago, and I'm sure... 
Alaji, and Sam will tell us more about what's happened since. So tell us, lads, how did you get involved first with gig? Is it jig or gig? Jig. Jig. Gambia Gambia is is good. good. (laughs) I like that. Gambia is good. Yeah, as uh, Katrina Katrina rightly mentioned, jig came in around 2006 with support from Hillbrook. Yes. It is a food grain crop company in the U.K., so they are behind everything that um, at the moment Jig is um, doing in the Gambia. So it's a proper business um, company that supports uh, farmers in buying their produce and sell it to hotel industry. Because uh, previously, um, uh, marketing used to be a big problem in Gambia. So they find it very important you know, to create such a marketing company to at least um, help farmers to by their produce. So listen, what's the problem? Because, you know, if if I want broccoli and I want cabbage in my hotel room, why didn't it happen before? Sam, what was the problem? Do, do Gambians not like broccoli? With broccoli, it was... We, we are not growing it. You don't grow it? We don't grow it. Yeah. <clears throat> we normally see it in the hotels. Yes. And farmers in the Gambia thought it is a Western vegetable. Yes. It cannot be grown in the Gambia. I see. But with the help of the project, Gambia is good. We started studying the crop and then later tried it in our farm, which is called the uh, Gambia is Good Farmyard, Jig Farm. And it was definitely very nice. So we now started sensitizing the communities, local farmers, how yeah. to grow it. As I speak to you now, farmers are growing, are growing it and it has been sold in the Gambian market now. And so do they also eat broccoli now? Yes, that's, that's our next step now. <laughs> our problem is we, one of my farmers, two years ago, grew it heavily yes. in North Bank. Unfortunately, the market was not able to take all. Uh-huh. Farm, so local careful. farmers don't, don't know how to consume it. At the end of the day, they have to leave it like that to die. Oh, I see. Is so you have to have a balance yes. between the crops that you grow to eat yourselves yes. and the crops that you can then sell through Gambian is Good to yes. the hotels to yes. sell to people like me who go on holiday yes. and think this is wonderful <laughs> local produce so the, and actually you've done it especially for us. Yeah, those are, those, those are, <laughs> main, those are mainly for the, in the, uh, for the standard market. Local communities up till now, most of them don't know how to eat it. Even my child. I don't know how to prefer it. Really? Yeah, really, yeah. Well, I think steamed is best. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, li- I like it. Yes. I like it. But with a bit of cheese, perhaps? I don't know. That's good. You were telling me earlier, Sam, about yes. the importance of when you have young people that they come back into the rural community and stay farming. Can yeah. you just tell me a little bit about that? Yes. All this happened years ago. Most of these young boys will leave school at a very early age. What sort of age? Let's say between 15 and 18. Yeah. And let's say up to 20 years. And they will not know what to do next. And most of them will always want to do this uh, college job, sitting in the offices when actually they didn't have the education. So they to go. go to the big city, imagine that and the yes. streets were paved with gold. Some of them become street boys. I see, yeah. yeah. They don't have anywhere to live because the, the city is congested. Yeah. So the project thought it would be very good to train these boys to go back to the community, to work in their own community, and then make a difference. 
So what we did was to establish this school through the help of Concern Universal and then start sensitizing the community. We went to them, sensitized these young communities. We were able to have office here, we were able to have 20 and we train them. What, uh, during the training, what we normally do is we train them in general agriculture. That is, we have to train them on animal management, small animal management, poultry management, and horticulture, that is vegetable production. Yeah. Then at the end of these three months, each of them is there to make your own, to choose one out of these three. Which one do you want to take? I see. If you are going in for poultry, then we will train you the basic knowledge on poultry management. And at the end of the training, that is nine months training, the project will give you a grant. First we started with grants, and now we are giving them on loans. Yeah. Because we have seen that most of them are doing well, and these grants cannot continue, because we cannot continue giving them grants. But to, to create a revolving loan for them, yeah. where at least... They can come and take for a few, just go and utilize it within a few years, then pay back. Then others will also have the same opportunity to come and take again and then continue. So they get, instead of to go off a big city and get lost, they get the opportunity to <coughs> realize that farming is worthwhile, really, yeah. that they can actually earn money for mm-hmm. themselves and their family, yeah. and that they get value from the land. Yeah and it's a responsible position because they need to pay this money back. Yes. Fantastic. And yes, this is how we normally do it. And the other thing, at the end of your training, when you get back to the community, try to train other young men. You become a teacher. So whilst they come to you for training, do you go out to them to make sure that they are looked after we have a training center there yeah which is the Njawara agricultural training center yeah and we have another collaborating project called the methodist mission agri program so these people handle the extension services uh, they, they make sure that there are students for the training center to train after training then these extension workers follow them again to make sure that what is being learned from the center is being implemented and any problem they encounter during the implementation, these field workers are there to show them the way. Got you. Now, I know that those wiggly listeners on the other end of these headphones listening, wherever they are in the world, Mm -hmm. will be saying, ask them this, Heather, ask them this. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Is there some security in in place that says that you are going to make sure you've got a crop diversity and a a balance? Yeah, I think you are right. We are um, not forgetting our local crops that farmers are used to. Like, um, we in fact grow early maturing crops. Those are typical uh, government crops that we don't, you know, set that aside. What are they called? Like uh, Findi. Findi? Findo, yeah, it's very, and uh, Millet. Oh, millet. Millet, yeah. yes. Millet. You see, so these are very things that um, even rice, uh, rice yes, uh, upland rice. And rice is our major um, uh, stable food, government food. Yeah. So these things uh, we don't take that for granted. And where I work, I work in a demonstration farm, a jig farm, and there we also incorporate uh, tourism. We give um, tourists the opportunity to, to come and learn some uh, typical um, Gambian agricultural realities. You see, sometimes they even partake in some of the demonstration activities in the farm. Um, as I am talking to you, um, from 2000, end of 2006 to date, 
we registered over 2,200 tourists, mainly British tourists. Fantastic. Yes. Um, I'll bring in Farmer Phil now because he's got a bit of Alagi's soil. I've, I've got some. I've got some Gambian grass growing. <laughs> I'm sure that's illegal. We, yes, we haven't brought that it's into not the that country. Sort of Gambian grass. <laughs> hey, man. But what is interesting is that the soil is compared to us, mm-hmm. ours. There's virtually no clay in it yeah. at all. Yeah. It, it's what I would describe as a silty sand, mm-hmm. and I would guess that it's got a very low organic matter content in it as well yeah mm-hmm. which <laughs> tells me that it's very consistent yeah. so it's probably if you've got enough water and nutrients you can grow really high quality crops yeah but it also suggests to me that when you run out of water you run out of water very rapidly yeah. and it becomes a beach all you have to do is say to farmer phil and your land becomes a bog yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's the that's the upside and the downside the other thing i would imagine is that um, when you're working it so yeah. the tools that you use to work it wear out very quickly Mm-hmm. And not far from here, down towards ross on wye which would be about 20 miles from here, mm-hmm. there's a, an area of Herefordshire which is very sandy, and we used to farm there. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very similar soil to that. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have got experience of it, but I haven't got very much of it here. Mm-hmm. And as you can see today, mm-hmm. we're in a bog today. Yeah. Yeah. The advantage that you have is that you can produce the same crop to a high-quality again and again and again. Your limiting factor of nutrients and water, whereas we work round, we've got mm. stones, and because our soil is shaped by glaciers, mm. and I don't think that the glaciers got as far as the Gambia. <laughs> <laughs> it does strike me that there's a real irony, though, because here we are listening to Elijah and Sam and Mamut explain how um, growing their own food and also developing the crops for the outside markets Mm. as cash crops and at the same time we've got farmer phil who up until two years ago this farm had not produced any of its own food for how long 25 years 25 years Mm. and since then we are now growing our own vegetables our own fruit our own beef Mm. our own pork our own eggs and very shortly we'll be having our own chickens as meat. And so gradually, it's amazing how we're coming together, aren't we, yeah. as, a, as a community, a world community. Now then, where's the new catalogue? This is hot off the press. The first people who've seen this catalogue oh. are these Gambian <laughs> chaps, which is wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, but, uh, Katrina, can you just explain to us, we've put a micro-garden in our catalogue, could you just explain to us, please, what will happen with this garden and, and why it's important? Well, now, Elijah can probably explain this far better yeah. than I, but just by way of an introduction, many of the people across Africa um, who are involved in farming are actually the women. Um, and sometimes, though, they can find it really difficult to get access to land, not least because the way that the legal system is set up. So this project is really designed to help you know, lady farmers out in the rural areas across Gambia. And with that, I'm going to hand over to Elaji and he can tell you a bit more. Yeah. The idea behind creating micro-gardening is to able to 
peri-urban settlers, people who don't have access to land, to also able to grow their own crops in small scale. Microgardening has a lot of advantage because we are talking about we brought a soil sample from from Gambia. So if you grow your, if you have your crops on the table, so that means you are free from some soil-borne diseases like nematodes, fusarium, and so forth. Yeah. Because this is a well-controlled, you know, table. And if you don't have access to land with your balconies, because now this uh, project attracts a lot of uh, people. You see, banks, you go to private farms, so they have their own tables in their compounds, you know, so they are growing these uh, crops successfully with their families, and they also make some small income out from it. And this microgarden also now collaborating with uh, people who are living with um, HIV and AIDS. Uh, they don't have uh, physical strength as such to go in for an intensive uh, you know, farming as such. You see. So, but with microgarden table, you don't need to do some physical works as much. You know. So, and you can able to uh, uh, generate something at the end of the day. Because the substrates there you use are gravel, um, peanut shell, and rice husk. The whole uh, idea came from Senegal. Because at the moment, uh, the current uh, concern universal agricultural uh, consultant is, an, is a Senegalese. Yeah. So we normally have a series of uh, field trips to Senegal to see how microgardening has been successfully, you know, been in Senegal. Yeah. So when we came back, we initiated this project and it's, it's really working <clears> well. So that's how things are. At the moment, we are even going in for growing strawberries on microgardening in a larger scale at the Jig Farm as a demonstration, as I'm, as I'm talking to you now. So what we've got to hope is that lots of people mm-hmm. will look in the weekly catalogue and add a microgarden to their order because yeah. they don't have to do anything except stick it in there mm. and we will make sure that Miss Katrina here yes. is handed the £9 okay. completely. There will be no admin charges, no credit card charges, <laughs> no nothing whatsoever. <laughs> if you would like to donate us the £9 with your order... Mm-hmm. That'd be great, That'd and be we will great. pass it to Katrina, and she will pass it to these lads here, and yeah. that will be just a jolly the, job. The Gambia is a good yes. project, yeah. yeah Gambia is good, good. yeah. <laughs> and thank you very <laughs> much for coming. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much for your interview. It's a pleasure to be here. A great opportunity for us to be heard all over the world, <laughs> especially here in London. <laughs> thanks to all the contributors. And let them, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it will thank be you. Yeah. wisely, yeah. wisely, yes, and very productive. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you. Now then, they've left their soil sample here, so hopefully we'll get that to them. But in the meantime, Rich, you've been listening to the deers. I have. What have they been? What's what's going on at the well, moment? You know, it's, it's, it's is it another year love when they, thing? When they, it is another love thing. You know, where they, the kind of autumn thing where the big bucks of the hill are, are, are looking to get together all the girls and uh, do their business, so as they can spread their seed for uh, for next year. What sort of deer are they? Fallow. So, uh, so they're, same they're as ours. Almost certainly the most common deer in in uh, in Herefordshire. Not entirely sure where they'd be the most common deer in in England. Probably now. I wouldn't know that. So if anybody does know that, then that would be nice to, to hear from you. But certainly the ones we see are more frequently than any others. I mean, we've got Muntjacking and we've got Roe, but uh, Fallow are by far the most numerous. And, uh, yeah, the boys are definitely making themselves heard at the moment. And I, I wandered out of the house the other day and, and started to... The sound travels, you know, it's a really still morning. Unfortunately, there's a bit of uh, the sort of sound, you know, people sort of getting up, going to work and things like that. But I suppose Damn that's them. part of it, you know, <laughs> part of the thing. Because you've got this, all this kind of... You know, the sound drifting up from the village up into the valley, you know, and uh, 
the deer, the, the sound that they were, they, they, they were making was absolutely astonishing. What time in the morning was this? It was quite early. Just on... Well, to be frank, it's a mix. Some of the recording is taking in the morning, as I'm, as I'm doing my little morning jaunt, and then I followed it up with a little evening edition just to, to get even more sound from the big bucks. And interestingly, I was also able to record some noises that the does were making. Excellent. Are you still Frank or are you Richard? <laughs> Let's have a listen. I don't know if you can hear that. Probably can, it's the grunting of a buck fallow deer. That's this that's the buck. They're really rutting big time on the hill at the moment. I've seen a couple of bucks whizzing their way around the hill. Looking for does. And they're grunting away. Just challenging any newcomers. The fallow population is very strong here, and uh, I can see them in the orchard practically every morning opposite the house now because they're feeding up on apples. That sounds like he's quite a big old boy. The deeper the voices, the, the larger they tend to be. Any of you guys that have listened to Autumn Watch. And Simon King's were waxing lyrical about the big red deer, those big stags. And they're really bellicking. And the deeper the, the bellock, the, the larger the beast, generally. There are, in fact, a couple of bucks grunting at one another from either side of the valley. It is just getting light. I'm looking really through a thicket of thorn and hazel and ash at the moment. And those, those grunting sounds are probably coming from 200 yards away from where I'm stood. The tram sound travels wonderfully across the valley, especially when it's still like this. I've just come round now. I've walked right round the hill. And I'm looking down over the top of my house, down into the orchard below the house. And aside that squirrel you can hear chirping away, and a number of fallows in the orchard and to the left of the assembly of does is a fabulous looking buck very light coloured animal good set of antlers as well I'd say probably four years five years old the unfortunate thing with controlling deer numbers often you have people that come and they're, they're sort of hunting trophies and they'll shoot those larger bucks and it has an adverse effect on deer numbers. Often you'll have the, the younger bucks, the precocious bucks, will mate with the does to the extent where they, they're unsettled. You know, they come into season earlier, so they, they get pregnant more frequently. And the balance is um, knocked out of kilter. So leaving those big bucks is important, really, in controlling deer numbers. Listen to that. It's now pretty much dark. And the op opposite 
end of the day from the recordings I took this morning. There's a huge buck in the orchard. And what's incredible is the does that are around him are making a really peculiar sound. Just about making out. The unfortunate thing is the wind is behind me. It's carrying my scent right to the herd. And I'm not entirely sure whether they'll stay their ground if I'm creeping along them. And I'd have to go all the way around the whole nine acres to get below wind. That's a big animal. Listen to him. What I'd really like to get is that sound of horns crashing together. And I think I'm trying... Oh, it's so close now maybe 40 yards away from me. Did, did you hear that? And those are the does. That incredible sound, that plaintive mewing of the does. Lovely. Dear listener, if you'd like to give us a weekly review, we'd like one very much. Go to iTunes. If you want to contact us, you can email us. Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk Farmer Phil on pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk Farmer Phil's on Twitter and he is... Farmer with no E, Phil. I'm on Twitter and I'm at Wiggled. And uh, Rich? I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> But you are a tweet. Oh, a tweet, certainly. <laughs> you said it, Frank. Yeah. Sorry, Rich. Uh, anyway, next week we will be hearing all about the next trauma for Lower Blakemere Farm. Farmer Phil, tell us all about it. Well, it's once again time for the annual TB test, that uh, DEFRA-led lottery as to whether we've actually contracted TB and I say weather and I say lottery because I have absolutely no control over it and neither do they. But this is when we test for it. Any cattle that come back as reactors are slaughtered and any that are inconclusive are retested and if we do have any reactors we are what's termed shut down so we're not allowed to send any cattle to move any cattle off the premises but, as we've said before, until we address the problem of TB in badgers, we waste our time and everybody else's money. Yeah. So, I'm going to get you to take the recorder out while you're doing the TB test, and then we'll hear the results. In the meantime, on a more cheery note, it's time for you, dear listener, to start buying. Christmas is coming, therefore, here is the Wiggly advert. If you need a worm cafe, a can of worms, DIY composting, Bukashi, Wiggly Rider, wooden composters, bird seeds and feeds, live food, high energy feeds, bird feeder, can box, Eva Solar feeder, bird ball, animal food, bug and bee habitat, shall, a Wiggly shall one, we, shall we Wiggly just greetings cards, bird cane poses, Wiggly wedding feathers, natural decorations and hops, it, native trees, hedges and wigglies, trees and truffle spores, wildflowers, fruit trees, vegetable plots, vegetable seeds. 
seeds, seed storage, biogen seeds, grow your own mushrooms, collect and store them things in the kitchen, pamper with hamper, awesome wiggly goat socks. Please go to the website or give us a tinkle. Bye. Let me just show you something before we go. What is it? It's another <laughs> injury, isn't it? <laughs> that is not a thumb. Uh, no. Let's Bye from an- me. Can I have another look? <laughs> oh, my God. What have God. you done to it? I thought that would be a good point to leave the podcast on. <laughs> and I'm just going, ah! You I, it. It. I can't even recognise it as a... Yeah. Drilled it. Drilled it. <laughs> 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 that's a real taste of blood moment. <laughs> you drilled, that's a couple of weeks ago now. You drilled no, yourself. Really, it was quite quite painful. With a drill. Yeah, with a drill. Yeah, drilled. Well, I was I was just giving a little bit uh, a bit, bit, little bit more leverage onto something, perhaps a bit more than I might have been. And my thumb was a little bit too close. The drill slipped off, slipped off the screw, and straight straight into my thumb. You know, like there's probably the best part of twelve stone pushing against the. <laughs> Do you know why that happened, Rich? Because God, you're, you're too mean, too mean <laughs> to buy a new posi drive for your drill. No. It's worn, no, and that's what what's wrong with it. It's, no, it's and using, a fellow using tweeter who uh, follows, I think, both Heather and I, Jim in the morning, who is a, a disc jockey from Shropshire. He has a term for this sort of story. He says T O H O D. And do you know what that means? T-O-H-O-D. Turned off, hard, on. <laughs> <laughs> when he comes across a story that is just that bad, it's thud of head on desk. Oh, yeah, that's good. And that's what applies. That incredible sound, that plaintive mewing of the does. And I suppose, you know, this kind of amorous behaviour by the by the bucks just incites a bit of unusual vocals from the girls. I've had to say myself. <laughs>